Hello, welcome. Welcome to the Riptide Podcast. My name is Austin Schofield. I'm one of your co-hosts. Uh, today, I'm actually going to be narrating this entire entire episode on my own. Um, this is kind of weird. I'm talking to a mic in a room completely isolated, <laughs> but let's get started. So uh, this, this episode is going to be focused primarily on the coronavirus. Now, I'm pretty sure anyone that is listening to this podcast is going to be aware of what I'm talking about when I say coronavirus. Um, Potentially started over in Wuhan, over in China. Um, Big outbreak there, starting to, you know, gain some momentum over here in the States. Um, So it's something that I think we all have to be watching out for. Um, And so anyway, we're going to jump into UMass Boston's case now. UMass Boston actually was home to the first coronavirus case in Massachusetts. My interest is not actually in the safety surrounding this or the potential health risks, but actually the university's response. Um, my opinion was that, uh, although I do believe it was rooted in you know, a positive perspective, I think it was a little ambiguous and definitely could have been clearer and more detail-oriented. Um, so let's build a timeline here. So back in January on the 28th, it was a Tuesday. Um, this student, he's in his, uh, early to mid twenties. Uh, I haven't really been able to find out anything else about him. And I think that's fair. Um, so this student came back from Wuhan, China to Logan airport with some minor symptoms. Um, several publications I've mentioned, he reported, um, a runny nose, nothing too serious. So he came back from Wuhan, wasn't feeling too well, went to bed. The next morning, Wednesday the 29th, he woke up with much more severe symptoms, realized that he could be at risk. You know, as he again came from Wuhan, he decided to seek medical attention at University Health Services because he's a student here and that's where his primary care is located. And I think that's appropriate. That's totally fair. Um, so that was the first week of classes. It was one of the busier weeks of the semester, typically, uh, at least from my understanding. Now, that could be potentially dangerous. However, uh, administration, UHS, all those officials have continuously asserted that it's unlikely he had any you know, dangerous interactions with people and he had pretty limited contact while he was on the campus. Um, so I think that's all well and done. I think, I think overall the risk really is low as they have been asserting. Um, and I, I don't think that that's really causing me any, any sort of like backlash in my head. I, I'm pretty, I'm pretty satisfied with that. I think that that's pretty fair. Um, however, I am a little uncomfortable with the university's response to this case. So Saturday, February 1st, this was several days after they must have had information about this case, because obviously if the student visited Wednesday, the school knew Wednesday. Um, Saturday, February 1st, 2020, we get an email. It's a blast email from Catherine Newman. In it, we have a letter. And basically, she alerts everyone in the community that we had a student who is a confirmed case of the coronavirus. Um she basically told everybody, okay, just operate with business as normal. Um, we don't really have much else we're going to do. We're not going to shut the school down, still go to class. Everything's pretty much straightforward. Um, one thing that I think is important is that this email never mentioned that the student came to school. This, this is The student was on campus, possibly interacted with hundreds of students because, I mean, again, first week of school, pretty busy. Um, and that wasn't really disclosed in this email. And, and it wasn't until 
the Boston Herald must have gotten a hold of this information somehow from some exclusive source because they actually put out um, an article that specifically talked about this person getting medical treatment on the 29th. So right when this email came out, the Boston Herald already had this information, meaning that the university knew about it, I'd assume. And that being said, I, I think it's a little disheartening to see the information kind of being withheld. Um, and there, there's possible reasons for this, which we'll get into as we move forward, but I want to keep setting up the timeline. So that was February 1st. We get our first email from Catherine Newman, the interim chancellor at the time. Um, we get a follow-up email the following day, February 2nd, essentially another attempt to sort of reassure the staff and student bodies that campus isn't at a high risk. The individual was isolated. Um, but again, not really any specific details about the interaction the student had with the campus. Um, and I, I think that that's a little important to, to note is that, you know, they've had now two chances to sort of acknowledge this and, and it wasn't done. It wasn't, it was not acknowledged. Um, so moving forward from that, um, on the 4th, Catherine Newman put out a, another kind of blast email, but this one wasn't really centered on the actual virus itself or the case that we had, but rather on um, kind of calling for the university to remind itself about what our values are. I mean, we are here, we're a really diverse community. Um, so, so making sure that everyone feels comfortable here. Um, and, and I kind of suspect, honestly, that this could have been sort of like an indirect response to reports of microaggressions against Asian students on the campus, um, which is a horrible thing. Um, but again, it, it was very much so feeling as though they, they were, she was trying to combat some type of, um, you know, prejudice or, or, or racist actions going on on the campus or anything potential that could happen, um, whether it happened or potentially would. Because, I mean, we're seeing at this point, we were seeing microaggressions against Asian students all over the country and even in the world. And sometimes they weren't microaggressions. Sometimes they were overtly racist actions. I mean, for instance, over in Japan during those weeks, we had um, Chinese don't come here you know, as a hashtag trending in Japan. Um, and, and one student, uh, Jaina even mentioned that, you know, she witnessed on social media, several cases of, you know, microaggressions or even like overtly racist comments, um, kind of like expressing hatred or, or distaste towards people that are Asian in our community. And obviously that that's really terrible to hear. Um, and so I think, I think this, this response here, this this email is likely um, an attempt to just kind of combat that or prevent it from happening. And I think that was a really solid thing. And I commend um, Catherine Newman and the administration for doing that because it's obviously important to make sure everybody on this community feels comfortable and, and doesn't feel attacked or anything because um, that can happen. That's really sad. Um, but again, so, so going back to the sort of kind of ambiguities left over um, from the first couple emails, no answers really. Um, it wasn't until a, a, a press conference or, or a, a briefing with Rob Pomas and uh, Gail DeSabatino. Um, Rob is the executive director of UHS and then Gail is vice chancellor of student affairs. Um, so it wasn't until that point we, we had this public kind of discussion that we finally get UMass Boston to say, yes, he was here Wednesday, 
the 29th. And he interacted very limited, you know, a limited amount with students. He wasn't here for long. He was isolated almost immediately. So, so they sort of reiterate that the risk is gone. But in my opinion, I feel like it's sort of frustrating that they didn't openly say these things from the start. I mean, these are important details that made a lot of people uncomfortable to not know. People wanted to know what was going on and, and we didn't really get that opportunity. So I think that that's really interesting that they they sort of waited that long. And I, th I think that that's something they should think about moving forward. Um, now, um, in a news article, Claire Spartalozzi, our news editor, shout out, um, on the mass media, she, she wrote a news article, February 7th is when it was published, first case of coronavirus at UMass Boston. Now, in this article, she mentions tons of student backlash. Uh, one sophomore even said, you know, I, I don't even know how they made it seem like the person wasn't on campus. Like I, I don't know why they made it feel that way. And, and if you read these emails, you know, sent out February 1st and February 2nd, it really does sort of feel that way. It feels like they're trying to say they weren't there. Um, but in reality, they, all they really specified was that they saw medical attention. They didn't really say specifically, oh, we had them come visit UHS or they, or they came to visit UHS. Um, now, I think that, again, like it would have been really important for them to be open about this from the start. Um, I think that it caused a lot of confusion and I think it, it, it can be a source of distrust among the community um, to move forward in this manner. Going back to the backlash, again, another another kind of piece of this that was mentioned in Claire's article, um, a professor actually sent out an email to his student body that saying that he was very unhappy with, you know, the initial email, February 1st, he was very unhappy with that email and felt as though it was a very unscientific approach. Um, personally, as a biology major, I, I agree with that. I think, um, with it being a novel virus with very limited amount of information available for it. Um, I, I do think that that is, a fair argument to make. I think it was a little unscientific for them to approach it in this way. But again, it's hard. You know what I mean? Do we cancel classes? Do we shut the school down? Do we just shut off that area of the school? Like there, there's a lot of yes, no, maybe potential good ideas. Um, but at the end of the day, it, it's hard to decide really what would be the best way to approach this. Um, but I can understand the frustration felt by professors and, and, and students when they say, you know, that, that feels really unscientific or that that doesn't feel like it's following, you know, good precaution um, because they really kind of just reiterated CDC's suggestions, which are, you know, to wash your hands, you know, as much as possible, things like that, you know, we, and that all that information is available on, um, the UHS webpage. So, but, I, but I, I do, I do, th I do think that's really important to point out is that, um, it, a lot of people felt like it was unscientific or, or not really a warranted approach. Um, and, and I kind of, I kind of agree with that and don't agree with that at the same time. Like I don't, I, I'm going to say, I, I don't know my choice, what I would have done as an administrator, but I definitely know that the ambiguities left over were a problem. Um, I definitely think that a lot of the confusion that arose was, you know, all directly related to the original emails being kind of vague. And I, I think that that's important to point out in the future. 
One other concern I want to mention about sort of how ambiguous this response was by UMass Boston's administration. I think it can be concerning. <clears throat> it can be concerning when ambiguities like that become misinformation or are taken a certain way. For instance, a piece by the Guardian and pieces like this were published all the time, but a piece by the Guardian actually blamed Asian foods for the virus, just, just kind of holistically. Um, and I'll, and I'll, I'll link that in the, in the description. They, that piece sort of was counteracted by field experts that were like, no, that's not true. The origin is completely unclear still. It's likely it came from Wuhan. It could have been, you know, meat markets there, but publications were putting out pieces basically just asserting this blame and it was causing, you know, consumers to stop buying or to throw out foods or, or whatever. And it's information like that, misinformation like that, that can really cause kind of panic and, and misunderstanding within the public. Now, I think this can also arise from being unclear or not telling the entire truth. And I think in this case with the university, we saw an example of that. I think that a little bit of information was kind of left out and that not being there made a lot of people uncomfortable or unsure. Um, I mean, I personally found out about the student actually being present on the campus from the Boston Herald. I mean, that article was published and then I, I, I found out from them. So, so again, it, it really could just be as simple as adding that information, you know, and we can take it for what it is. I think that there are a lot of reasons why that type of information was left out. And I'm going to get into those in just a second. Um, could have been to avoid panic for instance. Um, but, but yeah, I, I think that a lot of times misinformation or gaps in information are going to be major issues. Um, but so, so let me just recap here. So, I mean, from everything I've discussed, it seems like one thing is kind of clear here. The administration's response to this case was arguably causing confusion and, and was just a little um, unclear. We, we needed more information. Um, now, I don't think that it was intentionally done this way to cause problems or anything. I mean, that would be ridiculous. I think that they had good intentions going into it. And I think it was mainly based on bureaucracy. I think they wanted to kind of, um, keep a clean image and, and, and that's fine. Um, and it, it kind of gives us something to, to look to for, for help and for leadership. And I, I appreciate that. Um, but I think that there are some specific possible explanations for doing it the way that they did it. Um, obviously like some, some may be like, Oh, they were, deliberately downplaying this. It's a conspiracy. And, you know, you, you might, I don't know if any of the listeners I've seen, there's been some Twitter videos going around of people in China, like getting attacked by police over this and stuff. It's crazy. You know, all these conspiracy theories surrounding this virus. I mean, that, that's all, I think that's all ridiculous. Um, but I think that there are other really reasonable explanations. I think the overarching one is, I think they were trying to avoid xenophobia on the campus. You know, I think they were trying to avoid, um, microaggressions or overt racism towards our Asian, uh, community members. Cause we have such a diverse campus. We need to make sure everybody feels comfortable and feels safe and feels welcome. And I think that, um, 
you know, I, I really do feel as though they saw examples of that happening around the world. Like the one I mentioned in China, um, John Moylan from, uh, from USG, he actually wrote an opinions piece talking about how we need to make sure that, um, you know, our fear of the coronavirus doesn't cause any xenophobic reactions. And he, he cites plenty of those in his article. I put a link to that in the description as well. Um, and I think that that would be helpful for everyone to look at, but, but that's, that's what I'm saying. I think, I think in, in a way this vague response given was sort of an attempt to avoid targeting certain people or to avoid, um, any sort of stigmas to get carried or just in general to watch for like kind of anti Chinese sentiments. Cause we, again, we see them happening across the world. I mean, um, some countries are even trying to call for, you know, kind of ridiculous travel sanctions and just, just kind of, it, it can be, it can be very, um, unfair and aggressive. So I think that that was probably one of the bigger reasons that they went this route. Um, and Catherine's sort of Catherine Newman's, um, email focused mainly on, you know, our community values. I think that was kind of evidence of this overall approach being partly about avoiding, you know, microaggressions against Asian students. Because again, she, she really called for the student body to come together and, you know, remember who we are. Um, one quote, she even says, at all costs, we avoid the pitfalls that may arise elsewhere of stereotyping or discriminating against anyone. Um, yeah, she's calling for us to stand together and not to ostracize any of our peers. Um, and I, I resonate with that. I think that's a really valid thing to do. I want to make sure that my friends feel safe on this campus. So um, I think that that was what was really happening here. Um, another possibility is that they were trying to just incite optimism because, I mean, as we've seen, it can be a really terrifying thing to deal with like a health risk like this. Um, and one sort of kind of piece of backing evidence uh, from this was an interview, I'm sorry, a email sent out on February 18th. So a couple weeks after all this started to go down um, from Rob Maz over at uh, UHS, he, he sent us an email sort of notifying us that this student that was infected on the campus that came and got uh, health services at UHS, he passed the incubation period, the 14-day incubation period, as as Pamalas called it, and he was showing no other signs of illness or risk or anything in that our risk on the campus continues to remain low, just sort of reiterating what we were getting the first few days, which is, you know, business as usual, don't worry, just stay safe by washing your hands and, you know, being clean for the most part. Um, and, and I think that that was really optimistic. And the reason I call it optimistic is because um, in an article published um, by NECN, Rita Nieves actually says two tests that come back negative are typically required to clear someone. And she specifically mentions that this Boston patient has not received those two tests. So we're waiting for those results, meaning that, or at least at February, on February 18th, we are waiting for those results. And, and to me, that kind of means, well, Rob's response was a little optimistic. I mean, cause we're not really sure yet. He still could have it. He still could be carrying it. He just might not have aggressive symptoms at the moment. Um, and again, I think that's important to point out that it, it could all have been about optimism. It could have been about let's keep people happy. Let's keep people from freaking out because at the end of the day, I think pessimism and negativity can really drag a community down. So again, maybe just trying to focus on how we can 
you know, stay optimistic, um, looking at everything in a positive manner. I think that could have been the approach too. And that might've been why they kept out certain information because they felt as though it might've just overall brought negativity. Um, so yeah, I mean, there, there's, there's, and there's probably more explanations or reasoning, you know, reasoning behind the way that they, um, worded things and, and what they chose to say and what they chose not to say in these, in these emails, um, and in these announcements. But I think overall, I think they had positive intentions behind them. They're our administration at the end of the day, they are working for us, the student body. And I think that, you know, typically they, they do their best to do what they think is right. So I, I trust that they were sort of just unsure about how to go about it. I mean, it's an unprecedented situation. At the end of the day, you're talking about a potential viral outbreak. Nobody really knows how to deal with that if they haven't dealt with it before. It's a new thing. They can take guidance, but at the end of the day, there's still some internal decisions they have to make on their own. Um, I think moving forward, using what they learned in this situation, they could improve their decision-making by just you know, sort of pledging to be transparent, trying to really give us everything because at the end of the day, that is our information. Uh, that's how I feel. I think that's our information and I think we deserved to have it. Um, but yeah, I'd love to hear people's thoughts. You can feel free to reach out to me, um, on the Instagram, or you can reach out to me by email, austin.scofield001 at umb.edu. I'd love to hear back because I want to do a follow-up article. I just, uh, plan to publish a piece in the next issue. So that'll be coming out I'm a little more of a, um, of a detail oriented kind of analysis of my opinion on this. Um, but yeah, I'm interested in hearing back what students felt. So if you have anything, I'd love to hear back, follow us riptide podcast and, uh, thank you.